Well, good morning. Good morning to you all. My name is David Esau, one of the pastors here at Eagle Ridge Bible Fellowship, and we are glad that you have come in person. And I was talking to someone, Hi Velma, online that uh, joins us online because she's moved out to Mission Area and had a chance to, some of you know Velma, and had a chance to stop in and uh, visit her yesterday after the conference that I've been at in the last couple of days. Uh, just uh, our office administrator, Diane, t told me, when you say about ways to give, remind them to put in their address when they do give online. So that's my cue for that. Make sure that you remember to put in your address. That's part of income tax and also so we know exactly who you are because sometimes you know who you are, but it doesn't say for us who you are. But appreciate the ways that you have to give. And part of the, one of the ways of still opportunity to give is in the winter shelter. So those of you who don't know, during the, uh, this coming month, starting this Wednesday, we are going to be hosting the, uh, those who are without homes in our, in our area. And especially with the weather getting cold like it is, it is great timing for them to be able to come in uh, at night, be able to sleep in our gymnasium, get a, get a hot meal, and uh, be able to get a bag lunch to take after a breakfast in the morning. And so there's some spots left, the morning spots. Those of you who like to get up, be here at 6.30 in the morning to help with cleaning, that would be great. Baptism and membership class is starting next Sunday. Next Sunday, you just have to come early. Come at 9 o'clock in the morning. And we're going to be, uh, Rob, uh, one of our elders, Rob Clausen, is going to be leading that. I was just talking to someone this week who said, I want to come to that. So this is uh, great to be able to do that. And baptism is one of the ways that we, it is the way that we join the family of God, that we publicly express our commitment to follow Christ and also to be a part of Christ's family, the family of God. And uh, Christ in his wisdom said, no lone rangers, right? We need to be together. And just over the you know, I see it often, but even in the last months, I've just seen the importance of and the wisdom of Christ putting us together in the family of God to care for, support one another, to share the stories of what God has done and is doing. Badminton and pickleball. A few of you showed up this last week, which was good because there was a few of us here. But uh, this is an opportunity this Wednesday evening you do, we do have levels though, you know, and the levels are you just need to be able to hold a paddle and uh, you come out and join us. That's, it's a low bar and we have snacks, you know, healthy snacks and really tasty snacks. So you can come out <laughs> for that. And if you don't have a paddle, don't worry, we've got badminton rackets and birdies and we've got uh, pickleball paddles and we've got somebody that knows the rules because I didn't. <laughs> Half day of prayer. That is coming up this coming Saturday, starting at 9 o'clock in the morning. And we have lunch together as a part of that and share what we have been hearing God say. And I've been participating in this a number of times. And that is really one of the highlights for me, is that time of sharing afterwards, hearing from God, but hearing one another share as well. So you are welcome to join us for that. Um, we have a guest speaker this morning. I'll be introducing uh, Wayne a little bit later, but let us continue in worship this morning. 
Thank you, Heather and, and worship team. Kids, you are dismissed to Kid Zone at this time. And if you don't know where to go, you just follow one of those teachers. They will definitely uh, help you find the way there. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, myself and uh, actually Reinhard Bartel, one of our ushers, had the privilege of being at the Mennonite Central Annual General Meeting. And some of you may think, an annual general meeting, you know, that's really not very interesting. But it is very interesting, and uh, because you get windows and stories and highlights from what God is doing around the world through ordinary people. It's one thing to watch the news, you know, each night or, uh, or in the paper, as, uh, as many people do, or online. And you get glimpses of what the big stories are, but you don't get the story ever of what is God doing in the midst of that. And sometimes it can seem, uh, situations can seem uh, very hopeless. And yet, we follow a God who has been raised from the dead, right? Jesus raised from the dead, so no situation, he said, no situation is ever hopeless. And so, uh, Mennonite Central Committee, uh, the director of, in, in BC here for many years, I don't know how many years, Wayne, you can maybe tell us, or you can say approximately, it's been dec decades. And so, uh, Wayne, I thought, Wayne, it would be great if you would come and share with us um, some of the highlights from, from there and to give us windows into what God is doing uh, around the world. And so, please come at this time and uh, share with us. Thank you, Dave. So, it is my uh, pleasure to be with you here this morning. Uh, I'm just going to put this out of the way. All right. Um, and uh, it has been decades since I've been with MCC, 15 years as the executive director uh, and uh, over 27 years uh, since we returned from Nicaragua and started serving with MCC back in 1996. It's also a pleasure to come here partly because on the drive I get to pass by the place that I lived in Port Coquitlam way back in the 60s on Ranch Park Way. I don't know if you know where Ranch Park Way is, but that was home to us for a number of years back then. Uh, but it's also great to connect with uh, many friends who are here uh, in this congregation. And I'd just like to get a sense for the degree to which people are connecting with MCC. And I'm wondering, is there anyone here, uh, and maybe I'll, I'll get you to raise your hand, if you have ever served with MCC in any capacity, either here uh, with MCC or overseas. Anybody ever served with MCC? We see Reinhardt. Uh, has anybody ever volunteered with MCC at a thrift store, at the relief sale, or making blankets or anything like that? Has anyone ever volunteered with MCC? Raise your hands. I see a few. Have any of you ever made school kits or relief kits? I think you've been, been doing that. Okay, raise your hands. All right. Uh, and then I wonder, has anyone ever been helped by MCC? And you know what? There are some people who might say, yes, I was in the employment program or the refugee program, but to some degree, my story is that my grandfather was helped by MCC, and so indirectly, I have also been helped by MCC. Anyone been helped by MCC in any way? Yeah. Well, I think uh, altogether, maybe half the people here in this congregation have had some kind of connection 
with the work of MCC, and I just want to express our appreciation because at MCC, we work with and through the church uh, because we think that's the primary way God is working in the world today. And so we're just delighted to be with you here and to share some stories about how, together with MCC, uh, you are making a difference. Uh, and, and we do live in, in troubling times, don't we? And you can't help but turn on the news and you're hearing about homelessness and inflation and uh, people are having a hard time paying the bills, the rent, the food prices are going up. And for those who own homes, they're worried about interest rates going up. So challenging on the home front. Uh, and you can't drive through most of the cities in British Columbia without seeing visible signs of homelessness uh, in our community or, or watching the news and hearing about the plight of Indigenous people uh, who attended India, uh, Indian residential schools. But also around the world, this past year, we had a, an earthquake in Turkey and Syria, uh, which affected over 9 million people in each country. Uh, and then, of course, the, the war in Ukraine, which was dominating the news and now has taken a backseat to the war in Gaza. And the thing that doesn't make the news is a global hunger crisis where 800 million people don't have enough food uh, for the next day. Uh, and so that's where we find ourselves, and we might feel overwhelmed. I think that's uh, what uh, Dave was alluding to. Sometimes it feels hopeless. Uh, but at the same time, as Christians, we're no, we know we're called to do something about all these things. And so what is it that we're called to do, and how, how do we go about doing that? And so I would like to reflect on Matthew chapter 5, uh, and it's where Christ is teaching his disciples. Uh, and at that time, Christ had been preaching and teaching and healing in various places, Jerusalem, Judea, and Galilee, and crowds are beginning, beginning to follow him uh, everywhere he went because people were amazed at what he was saying and what he was doing. Uh, and so eventually he went up to the mountainside with his disciples, and he began to teach them, and he talked about blessed are the poor and blessed are the peacemaker and things like that. And then he talked about being salt in light. And there's this one particular passage where he talks about what he expects from the followers of Christ. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp uh, under a bowl, but instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so Christ is saying this to his, to his disciples, to his followers, and by extension, he is saying that to us. We are called uh, to be that city on a hill. And I mentioned earlier that uh, MCC believes, as do Mennonite denominations, that the church is the primary expression of God's love in the world today, the primary way in which God is working. And you know, it's a bit daunting to think of because uh, that's just you and me, right? And I know I'm a pretty ordinary person. I feel pretty small in the face of all the problems that are happening around the world. Uh, and so it seems like a daunting challenge that Christ has called us into. But as we work together, we can be that city on a hill that's giving hope and light uh, to people around the world. Uh, later on uh, in that passage or earlier in that exchange with his disciples, Jesus was also talking about being called to be peacemakers. And he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So that's interesting when you think about being a peacemaker. Most of the time, I think about conflict. 
You know, a peacemaker is resolving conflict. But the term uh, peace in this context is not just about conflict. It's about shalom. It's about a much bigger idea. It's about peace and justice for everyone and right relationships with everyone and the flourishing uh, and wellness of all people. That's what shalom and peace is. And so when Christ says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, therefore, as God's chosen people, and this is noteworthy because he's saying chosen people, and you tend to think of Jewish people, but he's now saying to followers of Christ, as God's chosen people, the new covenant for all people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as the body of Christ, you are called to peace. I don't know about you, but growing up in a Mennonite family and in evangelical churches, I didn't hear too much about being called to be peacemakers, especially in this way. But as Paul says, and as Christ says, uh, this is what it means to be a child of God, to be a peacemaker, to be going about the world uh, loving people and bringing peace and harmony and flourishing uh, of all people uh, that we encounter. And so that is really uh, the mission of MCC. To demonstrate God's love for all people by meeting basic human needs and working uh, for peace and justice. And we do all of that uh, in the name of Christ. Locally here at home, that means a refugee program that helps people who are coming to Canada, working at homelessness, working with Indigenous relations, uh, doing community development uh, for people who are living in poverty up in Prince George, and child poverty program uh, in Victoria. And this past year, over 4,000 people were either engaged or assisted by MCC in British Columbia alone. 4,000 people. That's, that's quite a number. I was surprised, actually, myself to see that. And globally, MCC works in 45 different countries around the world. And our focus is disaster relief, providing food and water and helping with the production of food, uh, education, healthcare, uh, creating jobs, uh, and also peace building, the work of reconciliation between people in conflict. In those 45 countries, when you turn on the evening news, chances are one of those countries is in the news, uh, whether it's in Gaza, Ukraine, Congo, or even here at home. And so MCC and the church are at ground zero in many of these places around the world where they're hurting people. A hundred years ago, or just actually a little more than that, is when MCC got started. And we were actually born in the midst of poverty or drought and conflict in Ukraine, in South Russia. Uh, Mennonites at the time were facing famine because of the drought and the conflict. Uh, they were forced to flee from town to town. Crops were failing, animals were dying, and they were facing famine. And they were writing back home to churches and family here in North America and saying, please help. And so out of that, MCC was created. And we have this funny name, Mennonite Central Committee, because all the different Mennonite denominations decided, let's work together. Let's not do our own thing. Let's have one central committee. And by that name, you could tell they were thinking short term. Uh, it'll be just for this period of time. Uh, but like many committees, it continues to go on after. In this case, in a good way, I have to say. 
Uh, well, you know, uh, when this picture was taken in March of 1922 in Hortitsa, very, very close to where the MCC head office is today, and very close to where my grandfather was born and raised, and he was fleeing with his family, lost his mother, his father, his brother was shot and killed in the barn. They fled the family farm and were going village to village, and he was probably in a soup kitchen just like this, uh, where MCC was helping people with the basic necessities. And little did he know, I would imagine, back then as a teenage boy, that a hundred years later, this organization that helped save his life would still be around helping people around the world, and little would he know that a hundred years later there would be another war in Ukraine causing massive devastation. Uh, as you know, after the Olympics in 2014, Russia invaded Ukraine. We can go to the next one. Uh, and uh, there was a conflict in certain regions of, of Ukraine, but Russia came in in unmarked uniforms and said it wasn't them, it was local resistance. Uh, but more recently, in uh, February of 2022, Russian forces moved in in the eastern part of Ukraine and surrounded uh, the country and started to come in at all levels. They took over the Crimean, uh, bombing roads, bridges, buildings, hospitals, schools, and even orphanages. Uh, and so you can see that there's quite a bit of devastation. Uh, and of course, you see that on the evening news. But in addition to bombing buildings, people are affected. Innocent people often are caught in the middle. And 40 million people live in Ukraine, about the same population of, as Canada. Eight and a half million have fled to neighboring countries. And five and a half million have fled to a neighboring community uh, within Ukraine. That's 35% of the population of the country who have been forced to flee. That is massive. It's hard for us to imagine. It's like the entire provinces of Ontario fleeing to the rest of Canada. It's massive. Uh, and it's vulnerable people uh, that are often caught in the middle. And so MCC is working together with the church. This is a Mennonite Brethren Church. Well, in Ukraine, there's a number of Mennonite church, Brethren Churches that we're working with in order to distribute aid uh, to people in need. Uh, and we're strategically located, actually, in different places throughout the conflict zone along the border with Russia at the center of the country uh, where MCC's office is uh, and in the regions closer to Poland as people are fleeing and getting ready to, to leave the country. And so this next uh, picture is of Nikopol. Uh, and MCC is working together with the church, and they're reaching behind areas of conflict where no one else will go to get much-needed food aid and medicine uh, to people in need. And you can see by this picture helping some of the most vulnerable people. You will have heard a couple of months ago that there was a dam that was bombed by Russian forces. It was next to this location, and as a result, they have lost their clean water source. So we're also bringing water uh, to this region as well. And there's about 12,000 refugees that we're assisting that have fled into, the, into this particular uh, community. Well, in, in addition to that, we're working in Kharkiv, 
which is near the Russian border, right at the Russian border. It's the second largest city in Ukraine. It was bombed heavily and somewhat occupied uh, by Russian forces. And we were assisting vulnerable people move out of the city center into surrounding villages where they could find shelter and safety and also providing the basic necessities, food, water, shelter, medical supplies. And in that particular region, there's about 4,000 internally displaced people who have come up from other regions just to the surrounding community because there's, you know, you're, you're going from one dangerous area to a slightly less dangerous area. That's the choice uh, that you, you have to make. Uh, and so in that particular area, we're assisting about 4,000. And then in Uman, uh, it's in the central part of the country. And it's strategically located because all those areas that are next to the conflict, closer to the Russian border, they're coming into Amman as they get further away from the conflict and make the hard decision, do we leave the country altogether? If we leave the country, we have to split up as a family because men can't leave. So do, does, does mom and the kids leave? Uh, father uh, behind. And that's a hard decision, as, as you can imagine. Uh, and so MCC, once again, is partnering together with the church in that region. They're using a children's Bible camp uh, as, as a place to host people uh, and providing the basic necessities of life, uh, helping people make choices about where they're going to go. And in that particular location, we're assisting about 7,000 people who have been displaced from other regions. And we're assisting the host community because we're providing the resources, but it's people living there who are providing their homes and churches and Bible camps uh, for people to stay in. And this next picture compares two images. Uh, and you can see the one on the left was taken 100 years ago when MC re was responding uh, to famine in South Russia, uh, Ukraine, and today. And it's this long table, and there's some interesting parallels as you, as you look at that picture. And so as we were back then, today, is MCC is working together with the church. And altogether, about 62,000 people are being assisted by MCC working together with the church in that region and receiving assistance from the church here. And so together, we are the city on a hill uh, in Russia. We're not stopping the war, uh, but we are expressing God's love uh, to ways uh, that people are deeply moved and touched. And they're seeing the character of God expressed through his people. So the power of love in that way is sometimes more powerful uh, than the force, uh, than the, the power of violence. Well, the, another thing that's not in the news is the global hunger crisis. And this is a picture of me in Ethiopia about 10 years ago looking at a project. And you can see these children, they're, they're looking pretty raggedy. Uh, I have to say I've been to probably 30 different developing countries around the world. This is one of the poorest places that I had seen. Uh, the donkeys were looking very bony and raggedy. Uh, people were, uh, you know, also very thin with uh, worn out clothing. Uh, and it's a region where the government of Ethiopia was having a difficult time assisting in addressing poverty. So they asked the Meserate Christos Church, the Mennonite Church in Ethiopia, if they would assist because they knew they were good at relief and development. So MCC worked with them together with a food grains bank and assisted about 70,000 people. But what's happened since then uh, is that uh, conflict in various parts of uh, Ethiopia, as well as uh, numerous years of failed rain, has caused massive uh, hunger 
in that country. About 30 million people, that's about 30% of the population of Ethiopia, are affected by the drought. 20 million are facing food shortages, don't know where their next meal is coming, and about 3.5 million have been displaced uh, by the conflict. So that's where MCC is working, together with the church uh, in Ethiopia. And if we could just look at this next uh, slide, this is one of the ways we're working at development. So this is the beginning. You can see those hillsides are eroding. Uh, and so building swales so that it prevents erosion, eventually you plant trees and various vegetation. It holds uh, the ground from, uh, from being eroded, but it also produces crops, nuts, fruits, and that kind of thing that uh, is, is able to sustain uh, communities. And so MCC is working in Ethiopia, but also other countries around the world like South Sudan, Burkina Faso, Zimbabwe, Angola, Kenya, Nigeria, working together with the church to combat global hunger. 800 million people, 800 million people, one out of every 10 people on the face of the earth don't know where the next meal is going, and many of them are facing extreme hunger. So that's a very large number, and the unfortunate thing is in the last few years, it's grown quite significantly. So after years of progress, we're now in a phase where we are losing ground because of conflict, especially because of conflict, uh, but also uh, because of drought. Let me just show you a related issue. Uh, this is in the Amhara area of Ethiopia where there's drought. And so you can see these people, they're having to walk several miles to get water. And then we get to the water uh, with this 22-liter uh, uh, jerry can that weighs about 45 pounds when it's full. They fill that with water, but the water is stagnant and it has a lot of waterborne illnesses in it. And you can see across the river, there are cows in that water, not only drinking, but also defecating. So that water is, is not healthy. So you walk all that distance to get water and it's, just, it's dirty water when you get it. And so what are we gonna do? There's a billion people in the world today who do not have access to clean water, a billion people. And so what can we do about that? It causes cholera, which then causes uh, death. Uh, and of course, uh, many other complications. And so this 90-year-old man who uh, was there in February last year when we were having a look, uh, said it was his dream that before he dies, the children in his village would have access to water, to clean water. And so I'm happy to tell you that as of today, they have access to clean water. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of Run for Water. Uh, MCC is working together with a community organization to help raise funds for water. And so we are drilling wells in 15 communities in the Amhara region. The first one was in Janina and this village uh, where this gentleman was located. And you can see the well has been completed. You can see a well, uh, a drill in the background behind that family and the water coming out at the base. And so they now have access to clean water. And did you know that for an average of $23 a person, we can create clean water. So you know actually the individuals, ordinary people can ha actually help make a difference for other individuals uh, in the developing world. And so there we are in Ethiopia, together with the Meserati Christos Church, the Mennonite Church uh, in Ethiopia, uh, being a little bit of a city on a hill 
and places where people lack access to clean water. South Sudan is another area that's affected um, by the global hunger crisis. I was there in 2009, and I would have to say it's also one of the poorest places that I have ever been. In the last seven years, extreme poverty has moved from 50% of the population to over 80% of the population because of drought. Uh, repeated uh, crop failures, but also because of conflict in the region that has killed over 2 million people and displaced about 4 million people. And so you can see that this woman is sitting there in a pretty parched field, if you look behind her, and bags of food aid that have arrived from MCC. Uh, and so that picture was taken uh, a couple of years ago. But we continue to work in South Sudan. And so have a look uh, at this next image uh, where you can see uh, these women who are getting bags of sorghum, beans, salt, and oil, enough, enough to last for a couple of months. Uh, and so for a family of five, $100 will feed that family of five for, for a month. Uh, and so for people who have been forced to flee, because of the conflict and they're in a refugee camp or they're in a drought area where they don't have enough to survive, MCC is providing emergency relief, but also providing seeds and tools to help people uh, plant their crops and hopefully uh, have a harvest the next year. I want to introduce you to Nair Wat. Nair Wat. Uh, Nair Wat Bim Chan is her name. And you can see this young woman is a pretty serious look on her face because she's been through a lot. She has forced to flee her village. Uh, she is without a husband, and she has several children in tow, and she's sitting in front of a makeshift shelter in a camp for displaced people uh, with a child on her lap. And it's a camp for displaced people run by the church. Uh, and, and so she says the following, if I did not get registered for this food, my children would have died of hunger. And the interesting thing that I noted as I was thinking about that and reading that is that she said, if I did not get registered. And the reason she said it that way is there is a lineup. There isn't enough for everyone. And so she's saying, if I didn't get there, if I didn't make it to the, to the front of the line eventually where I could get food aid, my children would have died of hunger. Uh, and so there's much more work to be done. I, I want to... Um, ask you, have any of you heard in the news about a large donation made to MCC? Have you heard that? Yep. Uh, and, and so that was covered in local newspapers, but also an article in the Globe and Mail, and it was about Henry and Mary Rempel. Uh, Henry came to Canada when he was three years old in 1929, refugees during the same period that I spoke about. Uh, and his wife Mary, who was a Lutheran woman, uh, and she was also in Europe as a refugee uh, during the Second World War. So they know hard times. Uh, and they wanted to help the poorest of the poor, and they had no children. And so they had been successful in developing... She's a school teacher, and he was a family psychologist or a child psychologist. But at one point in life, they decided to pursue a dream of starting a business, and they were very successful. And they accumulated a lot of property. And so they approached MCC and say, well... If we, if, would you be willing to be the recipient of this gift if you didn't just sell it and give everything right away, but you held it like an endowment so that it could continue giving 
for generations because we think it's just going to get more valuable over time and our gift will multiply and we'll be able to help more people. You've heard the parable of the goose that laid the golden egg. Eat the egg uh, um, and you're good. Eat the goose and your eggs are done, right? So they're saying, will you keep the goose going here and not just liquidate it? Because uh, if you liquidate it, then it's, it's, gone, it's, it's done. And so we had a hard look at that. Uh, we decided, yeah, that's something we could do. And yes, we would be willing, we would be willing to steward that property. So that gift they received that was in the, the headlines was for $230 million, it, $230 million worth of property. It's not cash. It's apartment buildings that are rented and land that's ready someday uh, for development. Uh, and so we said yes. And so earlier I said $23 could provide a source of water for one person. So if you imagine if we liquidated all of that, we could help 10 million people one time. But if we keep it going, we can help more than 10 million people. And even when you say 10 million, that's a small chunk of that 800 million. And it's just water, not food and the other basic necessities of life. So Henry and Mary were deeply moved by the grassroots support of MCC. They came to uh, see thrift shops with all the teeming, happy volunteers as they would see them. Uh, and the uh, people who showed up at the relief sale and they said, this organization has a grassroots movement behind it. It's gonna be around for another 90 years. It's gonna be making a difference. And we, we feel that we, we can trust MCC. They have integrity uh, and we can see they're making a difference. They're effective. So it's because of the support we have uh, from people like you that they, th they picked MCC because it wasn't just MCC uh, they were considering. And so as a result of this, what I would just like to say is we can help more people. What I wouldn't want people to think is that because of this, we don't need your help because there's so many more people who we would like to help. I mentioned that when I was reading uh, Nagariat's comment, if I was so happy that I got registered for food there were people behind her who didn't get registered. We want to help those people too. This gift will enable MCC to help more people and to do so uh, in the name of Christ and to help the church uh, be that city on a hill. I just want to introduce you to Nyagar. Nyagar is an older woman. I'm guessing she's in her 80s uh, and she's all alone and she's in South Sudan. Uh, she has no family. Uh, perhaps she lost her children along the way. Uh, and she's in this refugee camp, uh, a neighboring refugee camp to the other one that I was telling you about. Uh, and her comment was, if there were no food provided here for me, I don't know how I would survive because I'm an old woman and I am alone. And I don't think there's a place where I could go. Every now, <laughs> every now and then I get caught by surprise. Yeah. Many times we have people who volunteer in thrift shops, you know, people buy things for $3 or $2 and it generates just a little bit of income. And, but altogether, our thrift shops last year generated uh, uh, $2.8 million, $2.8 million. It's all those little contributions, those little drops in a bucket. 
And so it's all of our contributions that make it possible for one more person. You've heard the story of the boy who was throwing uh, starfishes back in the ocean. And there were thousands of them washed up on the water and someone came along and said, well, you're never going to save all of these starfish. And so he picked up one and he tossed it into the water and he says, yeah, but I can help that one. And so that's what I would like to say is that with this generous gift from Henry and Mary, we are able to help more people, but we still need everyone who's making their small contribution to MCC so we can help one more person like Nyagar. And so uh, we just want to make sure that people understand that we hope to steward this well and multiply uh, the impact of MCC. Well, a hundred years ago, the first Mennonite refugees started to arrive in Canada, the first in the 1920s, uh, in 1923. And this is a train station in South Russia, Ukraine, uh, where people were parting, saying goodbye to family members uh, as they were heading off uh, to an unknown place, to Canada. Uh, and, and so my grandfather would have been on one of these trains in 1923 uh, and, and arrived in Canada. And there were about 20,000 who were helped in the 1920s. Another 15,000 were helped in the 1940s. And so many Mennonites benefited because they could be refugees to come to Canada uh, and to start a new life. And so today, MCC continues to help refugees around the world. And there are more refugees today than ever in recorded history, 110,000. That's almost three times the population of Canada. And they're caused by conflict, uh, but also drought and climate change where people are on the move. Uh, and uh, this is a scene in Congo as people are fleeing conflict by carrying everything they can on their back with their children in tow. And so you can just imagine going through your house and saying, what can I carry? Off we go, we're just going to leave it all behind. And that's the scene that you see there, and that's played out for 110 million people around the world. And so MCC began its refugee sponsorship program, the current version of it, in 1979. When Mennonites came, it was a special deal. And there were various special deals for immigrants coming from around the world. But in 1979, as the Vietnamese boat people crisis was happening, MCC approached the government of Canada and said, our people want to help. They, they see uh, in the experience of these people from Vietnam something they can relate to. They remember being forced to flee themselves. And so our churches want to sponsor refugees. So the government said yes and created legislation for private groups to sponsor refugees. And MCC became the first private refugee sponsorship agreement holder with the government of Canada uh, just over 40 years ago. And since then, over 14,000 refugees have come to Canada through MCC and the church uh, from various countries uh, around the world. And so we're delighted uh, to work with churches. During the Vietnamese boat people crisis, half of the churches, half of the Mennonite churches across Canada sponsored a refugee in the next two years. That's amazing to think. And during the Syrian crisis, where you remember the body of Alan, uh, of, uh, of that little boy was washed up on the beach, uh, a third of all Mennonite churches in BC sponsored a refugee. And an equal number of churches from other denominations said, hey, MCC, you've, you've got a track record here, let's work together. And so MCC has been working with refugees uh, for, since its beginning. 
Uh, and today, around the world, the biggest refugee-producing countries are Ukraine, with 8 million people flee, forced to flee, Syria, with over 6 million forced to flee, and Afghanistan, with 5 million people forced to flee. You'll remember a couple summers ago, as the U.S. withdrew and the Taliban took over, and a lot of people who had been um, part of the government uh, previous to the Taliban now were having to force to flee because it was no longer safe. And one of those people was this refugee family from Afghanistan. And he came, and I'm sorry I forgot the family's name. Uh, he was fairly discreet about sharing his name because he still fears for his safety. Uh, and, and so he shared his story about fleeing to a neighboring country, not able to provide for his family, wondering what was going to become of him, applying for uh, refugee status. And then he said he'll never forget that day he got the letter uh, that, that, he was gonna, that his family was going to be sponsored uh, by MCC and Yarrow MB Church. Uh, and he said, thank God for MCC and Yarrow MB Church. I don't know if he's a Christian. I'm thinking he might be a Muslim or a secret Christian, not sure. Uh, I was in Afghanistan, and it's not an easy place to be a Christian. And so he was so thankful, and he, and he's, and he thanked us in his pretty good but somewhat broken English. Uh, in a way that was very touching. And then he said, I have a request. Please don't forget the people in Afghanistan. Things have collapsed. There's persecution for women and girls uh, and uh, a loss of human rights. So he says, please don't forget. So MCC continues to work in Afghanistan. We have to do it carefully uh, and, uh, and work remotely through partners, but uh, we continue to work in, in Afghanistan. And so here in this very difficult place in the world, MCC is being together with a church, uh, the city on a hill. Well, as we think of refugees and our story of being refugees, we also think of indigenous people who were displaced by uh, people who moved, Europeans who came uh, uh, to North America. And this is a scene of probably about 100 years ago of indigenous people sitting on a hill overlooking the city in a place where they had been displaced. And more recently, we've begun to hear about the story of indigenous people, especially with the understanding of the experience of residential schools, where children were forcibly taken from their parents. Uh, and they were treated very cruelly. Sometimes there were various tests, you know, the Canada, uh, food guide was developed by seeing how much nutrition you needed by testing, depriving children of food. I mean, th there was cruel treatment, not to mention also various kinds of abuse, but also trying to remove uh, the Indian from the child. Uh, and so that's a tragic and difficult story uh, that we need to come to, to terms with. And some people might say, well, I wasn't here back then. But yet, here we are. My grandfather, when he came to Canada, wouldn't have had a clue uh, about Canadian life and that he was displacing Indigenous people. But here I am, and I have benefited. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do about that? And so in May of 2021, we heard the tragic story uh, of the discovery of Armark Graves 215 at the Kamloops Indian Residential School. Uh, and, uh, and it became uh, more broadly known across a Canadian society about the treatment uh, of Indigenous people. Uh, it created trauma 
for indigenous people who had gone through that experience because now they were reliving it, uh, but also created awareness for those of us who weren't fully aware of what had transpired. So MCC has been working with indigenous people since the 1970s. Uh, and you might recognize uh, the person on the left, Beverly Lightfoot. She has collaborated with us when we do educational events and Bridget Finley, uh, our refugee program coordinator. MCC has provided an apology to indigenous people uh, as was requested by the calls to action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But in addition to a written apology, we thought, what, what if we could have restored relationships in everyday life? And so we're inviting churches to consider learning more about their indigenous neighbors, and in some cases where they feel comfortable building relations with their indigenous neighbors. And that's the work that, that Bridget does and, and Beverly assists. And a number of churches, over 30 churches so far, have joined on this journey. And this next picture is a church uh, in BC that is walking with MCC and their local indigenous community in order to learn more and to build right relationships. Uh, last year, 1,800 people participated in our Indigenous Neighbors program, and about 35 Indigenous people uh, were part of helping us educate. And just this past summer, in July of 2023, we were invited by Sumas First Nation for a longhouse event where they did an evening of storytelling. Uh, it was together MCC and the Mennonite Historical Society, as we shared with them that we're celebrating 100 years of having arrived here, uh, and at the same time, we want to honor and learn from you. And so they invited us to a longhouse ceremony. Uh, 200 people from our churches came. We listened to their story. We offered an apology. And we're working at building relations of trust and mutual respect uh, and love. In a little way, being a city on a hill in a relationship that has been deeply broken. And so we're honored that they would want to be in relationship with us. Well, it's hard to turn on the TV in the last couple of weeks without hearing about Gaza. Uh, and so MCC has been working in this region for 75 years, since 1948. On the right-hand side, you see pictures of rockets being fired uh, from uh, the Gaza Strip into Israel. Uh, and on the left-hand side, you see a picture of Gaza, of buildings being destroyed. Uh, and it's really a tale of two people, uh, two different narratives. On October the 7th, Hamas violently and brutally uh, attacked Israeli communities. Uh, uh, they killed 1,400 people and took 200 people hostage. And they were brutal. And we fundamentally uh, rebuke uh, the actions uh, that they took. Uh, in response, the Israeli government has created a total blockade of the Gaza Strip. There are two million people living in the Gaza Strip. It's about 26 miles long, 10 miles wide. Uh, it's considered to be the largest open-air uh, penitentiary, in a sense, in the world. They have no place to go. Uh, and they're experiencing shortages of everything, food, water, fuel to run hospitals. Uh, now, uh, electricity, communications, everything is cut off. Uh, a million people in the north have been told to move to the south uh, because that's where the intense uh, bombing will be. Uh, an estimated five to 8,000 Palestinians 
have either been killed due to the conflict or have died in the context of not having access to basic necessities. Um, and, and through all of this, we're trying to figure out what does it mean to have peace and shalom for Palestinians as well as Israelis, as well as Jewish people. And so I just want to say that Jewish people have faced probably more persecution than any other people on the face of the earth, probably. Uh, and uh, it started with their being dispersed from Jerusalem after the time of Christ through centuries of pogroms in Europe, largely at the hands of Christians or Christian governments. And then it culminated in the Holocaust in Nazi Germany with six million Jews uh, being exterminated with the goal of exterminating all of them. So you can't be Jewish and not have a fear about your future and, and, uh, and whether it's safe to be who you are, a Jewish person. This is the ship called St. Louis that arrived on the shores of Canada in 1939 and was turned away by Canada because we said we did not want you here. There might be Nazis among you. Go back. And so they did go back to Nazi Germany where several or hundreds of them would have gone into the concentration camps. So after the Second World War, when it became known that six million Jews had been exterminated, there was collective guilt, realizing how wrong we had been in our treatment of Jewish people. And so the idea of creating a state for the people of Israel in Palestine was endorsed uh, by the United Nations. It had been a trend that was happening since the turn of the century where more Jewish people were moving back. But that area that you see in yellow and red was called the Palestinian Territory, and it was under British rule, before that Ottoman rule. Uh, and so what happened is there was a violent uprising in the 1940s, and where Israel, Jewish people, claimed the yellow area and expelled 730,000 Palestinians by force at gunpoint, many of whom were killed in the process and were then pushed into two areas, the West Bank, which is that area on the right, and the Gaza Strip, that little area on the sea on the left. There's three million people today in the West Bank, Palestinians, and there's two million in the Gaza Strip. So here's the tale of two people both having had severe persecution in their life. How do we work at finding a just solution to this problem? How do we honor the lives of both Jewish people and Palestinian people? That, that is our work in our prayer, and we've been doing it for 75 years. It's the most sensitive and controversial area of our work, I would say. Uh, and so what I would say is that we would want peace and shalom for both Palestinians and Jewish people. Uh, and so this is a little girl that I met 19 years ago, the first time I was in Palestine, where MCC is supporting uh, a Palestinian refugees, providing basic necessities, ability to grow food, provide education, health care. Uh, and so today, she is a young woman, probably 30 years old, I'm guessing. And she may have children of her own, uh, or she may no longer be alive, we don't know. Uh, and so, as we think about uh, this area, it's important to remember both 
Jewish and Palestinian people, both Israelis and Palestinians. So MCC continues to work in this region. This next picture is of our work in the Gaza Strip, where MCC is pr providing uh, emergency aid for 250 families at the beginning, buying it in locations where there was food and providing it to the most vulnerable through the church in Gaza. Uh, and this next picture, you'll see one of our partners, local church, their building has been bombed. And so our food distribution center is now no longer operating. And we no longer, like anyone else, have communication with anybody in Gaza. So we ask for your prayers. It's a dark place. And so we want to envision what does shalom look like for both Palestinian and Israeli people. And we invite you into it. And so not just to leave you in a dark place, but one more story, just to give you hope, is in Syria. And you can see these people demonstrating in, I think, Damascus in 2011, along with many other regions uh, it was called the Arab Spring. They were protesting against human rights violations. They wanted democracy. This next picture, you can see that the government of Syria responded violently, bombing neighborhoods where there was concentrations of people that they felt were opposed to them. Of a population of 21 million people, 11 million have been forced to flee, half of them to neighboring countries, half of them going from one community to the next. So MCC is working in partnership with the church in Syria. And this next picture is the picture of food aid that's going to a community very close to Damascus. You know the story of Paul, Apostle Paul, when he was uh, confronted by an angel and, uh, and had his Damascus Road experience. So this is a community in Damascus where we're feeding 30,000 people a month, most of whom are Muslim and is being done by the church, helping everyone regardless of who they are. Unconditional love. And so after the first little while, people were cautious. Okay, what's the agenda here? But eventually, after month after month after month, unconditional love, people said, you know what? We think these Christians actually love us. And so the Grand Mufti said, I want to meet the leader of the Christian community. And he said, you know, we can tell, you have captured our hearts. We can tell you love us. And despite everything else that's going, around, around, going on around us, we can be neighbors. We can be neighbors. And let's do something to symbolize reconciliation. And so a little while later, in this next image, they heard the moderate Muslims being helped that there were extreme Muslims who were going to desecrate the church, who were going to destroy the church and the people in it. So the Muslims moved into the church and sent word out to the extremists, if you're going to desecrate this church, you'll have to kill us first. That's pretty profound. That's brave, but it also tells you the power of love. The power of love in spite of everything else that's happening, that the power of love can shine through. And so... Muslims in this community are helping each other. Uh, and, you know, through all of it, I think they might see the love of God shining in Christians. And who knows? Maybe they will also have a little Damascus Road experience and see the love of God through the church, that little city on a hill in Damascus. And in closing, I would just like to invite you that despite all of what's happening around the world, uh, we can be the city on a hill. We can be a hopeful sign uh, it's humble 
feeble effort in some ways compared to all the military might around the world, but it is also powerful, and it, uh, it helps bring about the kingdom of God. So thank you very much for your support of MCC. Thank you, Wayne. I want to invite the worship team up. And as they're coming, I thought it would be appropriate. I know uh, MCC uh, shared a prayer for, especially in the midst of the Gaza conflict. And uh, I just want to lead us in a time of prayer together. Oh God of life and love and peace, we witness the violence and injustice in your holy land, and our hearts break. Our hearts break for the people of Israel, for the victims of violent attacks by Hamas, for those who live with fear and insecurity, for those who suffer from the intergenerational trauma of violence. Our hearts break for Palestinians, for the victims of violent attacks by the Israeli military, for those being denied water, electricity, and medical care, for those who are refugees long displaced from their homes. We especially pray that weapons of war be laid down, that prisoners be released, that demonization of the other cease, that political leaders seek the good of all people in Palestine and Israel. O oh God, whose heart breaks for the world, may your justice dwell in the land, may your righteousness abide in fruitful fields, May the effect of righteousness be quietness and trust forever. May the effect of justice be peace, enduring peace. Shalom. Amen. Can I just say something? Amen. Just before we uh, dismiss, just a reminder that there are some people available from the prayer team up here on your right-hand side. And maybe... You need prayer for yourself, but maybe you think, I need to be praying for the world uh, and for the people who are serving God, churches in some of these areas of conflict, and I encourage you to do that as well. And perhaps your heart is moved to, to give in some way. If you would, uh, Wayne will be uh, around afterwards and encourage you to talk with him. I was reminded, actually it was an MCC event, and... Uh, I wanted to give more than I was able. And uh, I had come across a verse in my reading the next day. It said, you will be enriched in, in 2 Corinthians 9. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity, it will result in thanksgiving to God. And then I had a little side job that came up. And suddenly I was able to take all of that money and give it. And I thought, God, you're good. You enriched me. You put first that desire to give, and then you gave an opportunity to be able to give more, to be able to help out some of these places and people in the world. And uh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.